section nine of neighbourhood a year's life in and about an english village by tickner edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five may part one sometimes for days together a whole week perhaps i may never set foot outside the area of the village these are generally times when the tide of work runs high and one must keep steadily pulling to make any real headway against it they are days and nights too of necessarily close and constant application varied however by odd half-hours of quiet loafing hither and thither about the village delicious moments pilfered recklessly from the eternal grindstone of the study to be remembered for their pipes smoked and their talks with old acquaintance at street corners long after the labour which sweetened them has passed may be fruitlessly away so it happened this last week during which the season has journeyed out of april into may at one time or another in the chain of busy hours i have renewed acquaintance with all my favourite bits of old windlecombe and the personalities from which they are inseparable getting out into the sunshine i usually find my steps turning first of all towards the smithy it stands just behind the clemmer's cottage its yawning black doorway wreathed about with elder branches full of white blossom and deep green sprays reminding one of the foliage in old paintings which looks as if it were compounded of indigo and gamboge i never knew a smith who could beat out such ear-assuaging music from an anvil as young tom clemmer if you hear it in passing you are bound to turn aside and stand for a while looking in at the door and fall a-dreaming under the spell of its quiet melody but standing out there with the sun across your eyes you can see nothing at first save a spluttering red spot of fire and hear nothing but the chime of hammer and anvil to which the gruff wheezy bellows add a sort of complaining undertone when you catch sight of young tom clemmer it is to make him out as one of great height immensely broad in the shoulder and lean of hip a peg-top figure of a man through the smoke and flying sparks he shows you a black face with a pair of grey eyes deep-set glittering mirthful and a great head covered with crisp flaxen curls he is of the old south saxon blood through and through but at the wheelwright's yard a little further along the green you are confronted with quite a different breed of sussex peasant the drays are thick-set of middle height and dark almost swarthy of feature up in the churchyard you come upon the two names at every step you read clemmer dray 
drain clamour everywhere amidst the moss-grown stones in varying degrees of illegibility back for hundreds of years the two families are by far the oldest in windlecombe you note that the clemmers were nearly always thomases and the drays for the most part daniels while the females of both races were and are still either marthas or janes looking over the ranks of this silent company it is impossible to think of any member of the former clan as other than long-limbed grey-eyed and fair and a dray even though he were a serf under harold who was not dark of glance and visage would be an anomaly unthinkable young daniel now as you pass by and see him bending to and fro over his cavern of a saw-pit with the red elm dust spurting up fountain-like in the sunshine between his gaitered legs must be the very counterpart of the dray who doubtless fought at hastings or him of older times who daubed in blue war-paint might have watched with wrath and wonder from his seaside ambush the first phoenician galley that came adventuring after cornish tin when it rains though work and the house have for the nonce become alike intolerable i have several havens wherein i can be sure of finding just that quiet anchorage that the moment needs the little sweetstuff shop is foremost among them over the long low window with its curious lattice panes of bull's-eye glass there runs a legend in one uniform character and without stop or break berlin wools toys susan angel all kinds of sweets and within at her fireside behind the little counter sits miss angel always busily knitting and always ready for a chat i reserve miss angel and her flute-like underflow of small talk for moments of placidity but at unruly seasons of mind i go to the cobbler's den and getting my elbows upon the half-door look in upon him often without spoken word on either side for ten minutes at a stretch it is dark in there with a penetrating smell of tanned leather wonderfully soothing in certain states of the nerves my own taciturnity is real enough at these times but that of the cobbler a garrulous old soul by nature is usually forced upon him by circumstances his mouth seems to be permanently full of brass brads which come automatically through his closed lips one by one and always miraculously head first to be ready when his quick left hand needs them with his right hand he keeps up an incessant monotonous tattoo on the boot between his knees and to watch the shining brass pins flowing from his mouth into symmetrical rows on the leather is pure balm for eyes tired of staring at paper and ink 
i know the cobbler means to talk directly he has finished his mouthful now and again he looks up with premonitory gleams of politics or ground-bait in his eye or worse still with that slow double wink which i know presages a story ancient even in his great-grandfather's time so i watched the flow of the brads and when i judged the supply to be nearly exhausted i generally execute a stealthy retreat the parlour of the three thatchers inn is i know of old an unrivalled place for the rejuvenation of a jaded faith in the reality of life at times of idleness and dismal weather it is not the talk of the old landlord behind his bar talk at once serenely simple and shrewdly worldly wise nor the unending volley of song from the three canaries each in its crinoline-like cage overhead nor even the quality of the liquor that draws me to this cosy sawdust carpeted crimson curtain nook it is the furniture of the bar itself all that stands upon its shelves and hangs upon its old wainscoted walls that attracts me at these odd unemployable moments a collection of articles never to be got together i think in less than four generations of like-minded men all the woodwork is of oak planted grown and felled no doubt within an arrow flight of the village on the walls of the parlour hang various framed and coloured prints disreputable by tradition yet so embrowned with varnish as to be long ago relegated into harmless indecipherability there is a picture of a bird of dubious species from whose open beak issue the words as a bird is known by his song so is a man by his conversation opposite the door where all entering must immediately observe it hangs another picture this time of a dog lying upon its back with all four legs rigidly pointing upwards and a very long red tongue lolling out of its mouth and underneath the inscription poor trust is dead bad pay killed him behind the bar the walls are lined with shelves backed up by scrolled looking-glass wherein all the treasures that crowd before it have their blurred and distorted counterparts on the uppermost shelves hard against the smoke-blackened ceiling stand rows of pewter pots kept scrupulously clean and bright but never taken down for use within living memory below these is a regiment of cut glass bottles in different rich colours quaintly fluted each with a gilt vine leaf upon it and between the bottles stand inverted wine glasses every one upon a little mat of gaudy wool and balancing a lemon upon its upturned foot other shelves are taken up with toby jugs curious old snuff-boxes and tobacco-jars row upon row of earthenware mugs 
ringed with brown and blue and stamped with a mysterious ornament like black seaweed there are three large wooden kegs with brass taps marked respectively with the letters o t j r and c b the local pleasantry has it that these are needed to store the special liquor of three devoted patrons of the inn the ferryman and bleak the cobbler reject the insinuation with contumely but o t as i have the best of all reasons for knowing regards it as a compliment of subtle hue but perhaps the most fascinating item in the whole collection is a certain ancient puzzle mug of blue crockery ware with a suspiciously heavy handle and an elaborately perforated lip a stranger is invited to drink from this but by reason of the open lattice-work all round the rim it appears an impossible feat the trick however is easy to one in the secret the handle of the cup is hollow and communicates with the interior at its lowest extremity by setting the mouth to a small hole in the handle top the liquor can be slowly sucked through it being the day of the fortnightly market at stavisham and the weather fair runridge and i took the little green punt from its moorings this afternoon and set out to explore the long back reach the reach is just a winding side alley of the river overgrown with willows and reeds a mere crevice of glimmering water hiding itself in the heart of the wood coming into it from the dazzling sunlight of the main river it strikes at first almost chill and gloomy for all it is an afternoon in may but this is only an illusion that soon passes after a minute or two you get its quiet keynote the green dusk becomes deliciously tempered sunlight the cool air something finer and more delicate than the sun-scorched breath of the open riverway runridge pulls a long clean stroke and dips his oar-blades with a perfect rhythm he is silent company as far as words go but he has an eloquence of look and gesture which more than takes the place of speech and there is something about his mute system of comradeship that irresistibly impels itself on others with his tanned wrinkled face sedately smiling under the brim of his battered old felt hat and his thoughtful eyes forever roaming over the landscape you feel that the ordinary human method of conveying ideas by sounds is somehow out of place in the little green wherry over and over again to-day when a scarce bird or uncommon flower showed itself on the river-bank and i would direct his notice thither i found myself insensibly adopting his silent way of a waved hand or an inclination of the head when in other company my tongue would have been set a-going on the instant 
with less sufficing words out on the broad waterway the tide was still running up but here in the long backreach the drift of the current was hardly perceptible the old ferryman had laid by his oars and now sat filling an ancient pipe with tobacco that looked like chips of ebony as for me i lay back in the boat head pillowed on clasped hands dimly recalling a dream i had had ages and ages back of a world without green leaves or nightingales a weirdly impossible world of nipping frost and firesides the sob of the winter wind and the dreary deluge of winter rain the reeds stood high on either hand above the old yellow reeds with their nodding mauve grey plumes and below the fresh green growth wherein the reed warblers would soon be building a living emerald thronging up amidst the old dead stems over the solid rampart of the reeds the willows reached down trailing their ferny branches in the water and beyond these the great forest trees hemmed us in oak and elm and beech in two vast cliffs of verdure towering above us and interlocking their laden boughs against the far blue sky the little sugar scoop of a boat drifted on everywhere about us the martins were skimming over the clear water chattering as they went the seeding willows sent down tiny flecks of white that hovered and dwelt in the dim air like snowflakes and from the beaches overhead there was a constant rain of light fine atoms the discarded sheaths of the leaf buds that fell upon the waters and gathered into all the little nooks and bays among the reeds like pale dun foam somewhere far in the distance a cuckoo sang runridge took his pipe from his mouth and gave it a rocking motion never a word he said but his thought passed to me just as if he had spoken it a seesaw melody it was and will be until the hay is down there were willow wrens singing far above in the treetops a chiff-chaff went looping by with his soft broken note to count the nightingales that we heard as the boat stemmed onward were almost to count the white budded hawthorns that shone out through every gap in the reeds and now the old ferryman put out an oar and turned the little craft towards the bank where a great willow tree drooped half across the stream the boat prow clove its way into the heart of this leafy shelter and we came to rest the pipe went up warningly in the dense reed thicket hard by there was a new maytide song of all utterances of wild birds perhaps none attains to a human-like quality more nearly than that of the sedge warbler it is not so much a song as a continuous complaint 
and that of a characteristically feminine kind to me the little sedge-bird restlessly flitting from stem to stem through the waving jungle of reeds and singing as she goes inevitably suggests a type of dutiful laborious womanhood all affection and unselfishness but ever ready alike with sharp words and an aggressive tearfulness that disarms as completely as it maddens and the sweetness the occasional sudden bright abandon of the song only serves to strengthen the comparison you can picture the bird stopping in the midst of her most fretful self-commiserate strain bravely to estimate her compensations the sun shines the nest is well built and furnished the larder easy to be filled material good is unlacking but and then the singer goes hopelessly under again now the song is nothing but sweetly lachrymose expostulation voiced grief all the more intolerable for its tunefulness an epic of melodious woe turning over in my mind this fantasy about the sedge-bird as we lingered under the willow bower i found the old ferryman looking at me with a strangely reminiscent eye it flashed across me that long ago when all days were as good as market days to us i had put before him just these thoughts and had received his silent amused concurrence in them then there had been no chance of inconvenient application but now i sat bolt upright and looked closer at him i was beaten at this talk of eyes i harked back to the old safe path with which i was familiar he had turned away now and did not revert his glance though my hand was upon his arm why why did you do it runridge i blurted out almost as forlornly as the sedge-bird you never minded living alone you were happy enough and i i he was looking at me straightly enough now do it his breath whistled in through his set teeth do it did you say i do it never i did it herself kind of mesmerized i were never rightly knowed as twere done till twere all o'er but there tis in the book and no getting o'er it now ah well well pretty near time we was scorkin hum along beant it get tired woman folk a cold kettle for welcome and tis trouble without end whitsuntide has fallen early this year and that seems to me always the fittest thing it should come as it has come now at the full fair tide of the spring when the apple blossom last ebullition of the year's youth is at the zenith of its glory and summer is still only a promise yet to be fulfilled whit sunday in windlecombe 
to all average folk at least excels in importance every other day in the year christmas day alone excepted there is neither man woman nor child in the parish with the ability to get to church but arrives there somehow and some time during the day for the old vicar from his early communion service to the time he gives the benediction at close of evensong it is a day of ceaseless action and exaltation every whit sunday when in fulfilment of an ancient compact between us i go to the vicarage to share the last light of day with him alone i find him sitting in the little summer-house at the foot of the garden radiantly happy yet tired as a navigator and hoarse as a crow what befalls the curate at the end of this arduous day no one knows for he is never visible after the final service but miss sweet is said to pervade the neighbourhood of his lodging like an unquiet ghost far into the twilight waylaying his housekeeper with offers of night socks and odour cologne end of section nine